It's Toronto's Podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrea Sesson, your Toronto's host for Canada's Podcast Nation's number one entrepreneurial network. Today, I have a great pleasure to be joined by Jen Harper, and she is the CEO and founder of Cheapo Beauty Cosmetics, Inc. Jen, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. We're excited as well. So why don't we start off uh, by you telling us a little bit about who you are um, and a little bit about what your business is. Sure. So I'm Jen Harper, as you mentioned, the founder and the CEO, which sometimes to me feels laughable <laughs> because it's such a like an official title, but you're really just doing a little, like I call it the chief everything officer, like you're doing everything. So it's, it's not very glamorous <laughs> or as glamorous as that sound. Yeah. So I started the company, um, registered it, and I think did all the official business stuff back in 2016. But it was prior to that, it was January of 2015 when I literally had a dream. Like it's not, it's like not a joke. It was real, like pop up out of your bed in the middle of the night. And the dream was pretty incredible. And I call it uh, the most incredible life-changing dream now because I had no, um, I guess, aspirations or path to be an entrepreneur or build my own business. But then when you look back, I guess over my life, I see how I ended up here and that it probably was always the, the, the role I was supposed to fill, but it, I'm, I call myself a slow learner for one, so I didn't figure that out soon, sooner. And I also um, have been called an accidental entrepreneur by another journalist, and I really like that because it fits. So after that dream, I started just doing what every entrepreneur does, and it's like that deep dive into like research and product development, and you're just like, you feel like, I don't know, like this sleuth in Google every day, every night, like you go to your day job and then your nights and weekends are filled with figuring things out, which I think is just the most incredible part about entrepreneurship and what I speak to a lot of Indigenous kids about because some of us weren't academics and I can raise my hand that I never did very well in school and I didn't feel like school or higher education. I just, I felt at a place and it wasn't the right place for me and discovering with entrepreneurship that you really it is a deep form of education but totally not based on the secular version of education so it's it's literally creating your own path and and that deep dive into all the stuff that you're trying to figure out is you know that analogy we've heard several times an entrepreneur is like jumping out of the plane and building the parachute on the way down or (laughs) i just heard it described this way which i thought was hilarious that you're like hanging on a cliff and you're like hanging on to like the rocks as tight as you can. And, uh, you know, you don't even know if it's fun what you're doing, right? You're like, no one's ever taken the time to ask that, but you're just like knowing that you have to get to the top. Um, so, you know, scary, maybe I'm an adrenaline junkie. I don't know. I, I don't even think I would like the idea of jumping out of plane. So I don't think that's true, but, um, entrepreneurship does feel like that because you, and it's, it's kind of crazy because you have this vision in your mind of everything that you're doing and working on and what you want to build. No one else can see it. So I know early on when you're, I was telling people, yeah, I'm creating this cosmetics brand and it's this line and we're about empowering Indigenous kids and creating this level of representation for them in the beauty space. And, and then everything I wanted to do with sustainability. And they look at you like you're mad, like you're crazy. 
right? Because I see it all up here or it's on my vision board and charts and graphs and stuff that I've made at home. Um, but nobody else sees that and they just hear you speaking these words. And so it did take me a, a long time to start talking to people about it, but it's really a beautiful thing when you do share it with somebody and they feel it, right? Like they get what you're trying to do. So I had a really couple good friends and business colleagues early on that obviously I continued to surround myself with. Because if you um, maybe aren't with the right people, they're going to tell you you're crazy. I know I had those looks like you're crazy and, and people may want to tell you to quit and maybe close family members would. But fortunately, I didn't have anyone telling me to quit early on. So I was able to keep going. And I pretty much don't listen to anybody ever anyway. So I would have kept going. <laughs> But it's, it's, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. It's exciting. It's fun. Um, and, you know, for me and what we were doing at Cheekbone Beauty, it was so personal. Like, I share this part of my story that I was, like, battling alcoholism for many, many years. I got sober in 2014 and had this dream in 2015. Like, it, I don't know. It blows. I think it's bananas sometimes when I think about how everything worked out and sharing that part of it with people in my community that the, the reason it took me so long to get well, because I was 38 when I actually got well, was that stereotype that indigenous people all are alcoholics right and i didn't want to be one so for me not admitting that and and i guess living in that space of shame kept me sick for a long time so now i literally call myself like the proudest loudest alcoholic there is because i will like i'm proud recovered alcoholic um but there should be no shame in that like that is a struggle i've overcome it and even if you're still struggling you should not be ashamed of it there's reasons why and the deeper you know you study um things like addiction you understand it's our brain our brains we created those pathways as children and you know, it's about rearranging those pathways and, and building new pathways, but not being ashamed of things is really uh, an important message that I love to share as well. What a beautiful message and what a beautiful story, um, you know, and thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, that's something that you don't read in magazines and, and you know, newspapers and, and really uh, getting to know the, the entrepreneurial story behind the business and you as a person is very important um, and important for, for the customers as well. Now that I mentioned magazines, do you tell us a little bit about Chatelaine uh, magazine? I, I think you were featured in it and uh, yeah, I would love to hear the story behind that as well. Again, another, I think, laughable moment because, you know, the woman of the year. It sounds so crazy. Um, and I remember they reached out and I did an interview and you know, sort of things like that have happened over the years, but you never know if anything is real or going to come true. So I really don't share anything with anybody ever unless I actually then see it as public because I, I was, we were always worried, like, what if that wasn't true? What if that was like, I don't know. But anyway, so they called, we did the interview. And then when the article came out, I remember I was at some... Um, a small business in my community called it's called Ruby Red Beautiful, but she's uh, is a makeup little shop, but based on cruelty free products, and she's a makeup artist. But we were all there working on her. We were there for her grand opening. Actually, it was that day, uh, and someone had sent me a, a, a direct message on Instagram saying, "Oh my goodness, I'm reading Chatelaine, and here's Jen Harper's one." So that was a, it was a nice surprise, and there's a little magazine shop next to her store, so I ran in. And grab the copy and I'm just like this is crazy um just because it's you know it's the, those accolades you don't start out ever to get them as an entrepreneur but it really 
when you get one, it does feel really good. And the reason why is we do so much work alone. Like, look at, we're both in our homes all by ourselves doing all of our work and who is paying attention. Most of the time I think nobody, right? So when someone does, it's like uh, a little bit of validation uh, does fuel you to keep going and, and motivate you to stay on your path. It's true. And uh, I can speak for myself as well. You know, we do a lot of work behind the scenes and often you don't see the results necessary, necessarily. Um, and when you get that recognition, either from a customer or a magazine, uh, it really means a lot. It means you're on the right path, at least for me, and it means that I'm doing something right. Yes, exactly. So do you share a little bit about, uh, I know you were in Dragons then as well. You've been very busy. Uh, so how was that experience for you? You were in season in uh, 2019. Um, so how, how was that for you? So yeah, another really exciting experience. I sh I, I'm very open of, of the fact that I tried out three times. So you know when they do their tour across uh, Canada and they're actually interviewing and I guess um, looking for candidates to be on the show. So that was my third visit finally when I got invited to come in and tape on Dragon's Den. So that was really exciting. Cause, but it's also, again, as a businesswoman now and an entrepreneur the first and second time I was clearly not ready and didn't I think even fully understand all the layers of my business and what it was about and so I love sharing that with people as well that like it's so important to understand you know from that brilliant amazing dream I had it took three years to actually make sense of it all, you know, and, and cover all the bases, like whether it be fi your financial plan, your marketing plan, your, your supply chain, all of those things, it took so long for it to, to weave together properly. Um, and I think that's so important for every entrepreneur to understand because sometimes like right away, I'm like, you know, you said, you, I said, I, you see it in your brain, but now you have to be able to one, get it down in the business plan and then and even more importantly, articulate that to, you know, a prospective investor or someone that you want listening to you, right? And, and in very few words is important. So that um, gave me, again, another jolt of validation when you, when I got to be on the show. And when the producers were done taping that day, they were incredible. They just, they said, um, that you could clearly understand that I knew the path of the business and the direction and everything that I wanted to do with it. And the dragons, as scary as it was, I always say it pushed me really out of my comfort zone. Now that I speak publicly way more often, I'm a lot more comfortable, but that, that is not Jen Harper, who she was originally. I've always found that a struggle to publicly stand in front of people and speak in one-on-one -on -one conversation. Sure, I'm, it's okay, but the more people that came around is I always found it harder to speak up. So just having a platform to speak and then um, using those courage muscles that I didn't exercise enough. So walking on, they tape it like it is a live show. So you're not allowed, like you're coming down those steps like they show on, on the program and it's your first time seeing the judges. So that was really like, 
holy moly butterflies. <laughs> it was really scary. But then once you started talking and I felt more comfortable and my kids make fun of me all the time because they were like, mom, you were on TV for seven minutes and you were crying for six of them. And I was no. like, no, I, go, no, I really wasn't. Cause I'm like, they tape for like an hour. They edit it down. So it looked like I was crying for the whole time, but I've never been afraid now. Um, you know, losing my brother to suicide while building this, overcoming alcoholism. Um, I'm never afraid to cry. And I don't think anyone should be if we're, if we are, something connects to our heart, if we're emotional about something, we should have no shame again about shedding a couple tears. What a beautiful entrepreneurial story, such an inspiration. Um, and I'm really happy that, uh, you know, we, we got a chance to do this interview. Would you recommend to uh, the entrepreneurs thinking of, you know, being on Dragon's Den as something that, you know, they should do sort of to push their, that boundary to get comfortable? Was it a, was it a good experience for you and in, in your business? I would highly recommend it. And, and just for that very reason that you're going to exercise that courage muscle and it gives you an opportunity in, in so many ways that you, you might not um, get otherwise. So it is, it's an excellent experience and I highly recommend it. I mean, going in with it, I always say don't go into anything with expectations, but just appreciate every moment, right? Because I think sometimes we go into stuff with like, they're going to invest and it's going to change the trajectory of my entire company and business plan. It's not realistic to think that way. So um, if you go in it with the intention of this is just going to flex some muscles I haven't worked out before, then that's a good path to choose. And you as an entrepreneur, uh, do you think that, you know, you, you do your best ideas come um, in the morning or at night? Mm. So I was in sales for, oh my goodness, like a long time. And I did a lot of driving throughout Southern Ontario. So I used to do my best thinking while driving in, in, in my car. Um, and you know, you would see, you remember when we used to listen to CDs, like I would have those and then I would, you could see stuff I'd been writing. I was cleaning out a car um, the last time I sold my last car and it had stuff and the ideas that I had while driving written there on just those old CD covers or the inside or wherever I could find something to write while driving, it was there. Um, but yeah, so definitely driving, which really is unfortunate because I don't drive as much or even very little right now, especially because of COVID. But um, sometimes I take the time just to go for a drive and to think about stuff. And I tried to change um, in terms of like getting your creative juices to pump. So like going for walks more, just things like that, where it's time that you can are alone, where you can think. And is that something that you do to disconnect? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been, I live across the street from in the Niagara region. It's called the Short Hills. So it's a very beautiful um, nature area. Like what is it called? It's like a, it's a treed area. There's a river. So it is very beautiful and it's just nature all around you. So I love going into those kinds of settings to feel, I don't know, I feel a connection to the creator there for one. And then I heard someone's, I read like a quote the other day that said, 
always look to nature for the the idea because it's there. So I legitimately, I love watching birds sometimes. And I'm like, look at them. They never worry or struggle for anything. Like they know their food's there. They're just content. So I don't know. I love looking deeply at even insects sometimes and watching them work and their, their little mission in life is it's beautiful to see. In, in terms of your business, Let's talk about the future and let, let's talk about because we're doing this interview in the midst of uh, COVID-19, global, you know, pandemic. And I, I want to ask you, where do you see your, how is this affecting your business, first of all? And where do you see your business in the next, you know, three to five years after all of this is done and over with? Yeah, if I, well, that's the hard part right now, right? Because we have no idea. And like, you can talk to the economist that scares the crap out of you. And then you can talk to the economist who's a little bit more of an optimist. And then there's the, the neutral economist. So I've talked to all three recently <laughs> trying to be, and, and just to get that a balanced view of it and really understanding we're just human beings and we really don't have all the answers and we don't know, but just maybe going into this with the best of intentions, like we've always operated at Chief Bone, that was always my goal, just to do everything with the best intentions. It might not be right at that moment, but if it isn't, we'll change and we'll figure that out as we're going. But if we do everything with those good intentions, I think good things happen no matter what. So it's it's been a struggle. We had a big, splashy launch planned for our new sustainable lipstick line and we like pulled everything back and and went really low scale and just like popped the products up and like started selling them quietly without blasting um, as much of a media campaign as we wanted to do um, and the public launch obviously was cancelled at one event that would have been in Toronto at the end of March so um, it was just changing everything and we plan and we work with a great agency um, that does a lot of our marketing for us and they worked on it so quickly to change everything our, our videographer and photographer teams just like everyone just jumped on board which was to me that was pretty powerful in itself because everyone just, we didn't know what to do, except obviously our message, I didn't want it to be in your face. And we were really like, the campaign we had planned was really like, like in your face. <laughs> so we pulled back from that. Um, just because I was really proud of this, this new line that, uh, you know, I had no background in the beauty industry. And we just made a lipstick like from scratch using everything sustainable, like every ingredient was so thoughtfully sourced and picked that there would be not one thing in that lipstick itself that would impact the environment. So if it got, so to the thought of when you wash your face at night, when that lipstick is going down the drain, it will not impact the waterways. And there was no ingredient in there. And even, um, in our packaging is made from uh, biodegradable and compostable paper and the dyes are vegetables. So that will compost. We're doing testing at the moment. We don't have numbers yet uh, of how long that takes, but it was just, we did so much work for that. And I, um, you know, I did it all not a, not by myself, but I'm just really proud of like, I, I don't brag a lot, but I'm like really proud of that because um, it's what we wanted to do from the beginning. I just didn't have the money. So we had to use um, other third-party manufacturers where we couldn't control maybe all the ingredients, but now we can. Um, and I'm just so excited for people to use the product and try it and um, show the beauty industry specifically that we can do our part to eliminate, I think, a lot of virgin plastics. Just get really creative and thinking about how we make things um, and what they're housed in. 
and even how we can come up with making uh, better packaging that is more refill refillable or reusable. And it's a message to the industry essentially that if one woman who has no experience in your space can make something like this, smarten up because you guys can do better. I love it. You're such a trailblazer. Is, is, are, you the, are you the first one that is doing something like this in Canada in the beauty industry? So um, there's other sustainable brands, but the different, I've never seen anyone make the tube like we have where it's paper and not coated. You will see these, but they're coated in plastic, which makes it absolutely pointless um, in terms of biodegradable and compostable, right? So it's about understanding the layers, even the sticker that we put on to seal it, we made it so that it doesn't stick so we've seen these in the industry, but again, it has the plastic coating. So this one, there is no plastic coating. It can be biodegrade in the earth and be composted as I well. I love right? the packaging. So, and it, it's just, I said as well, like I, I will never think that I know everything or understand everything. Like this is a big, huge learning curve and learning journey for me about sustainability. But I felt really, um, I guess, compelled to be the brand to bring this forward as indigenous people we are the founders of sustainability um you know there's a, a many people in our communities from across north america or which we call turtle island they use the teaching of how will what we're doing today impact the next generations you know so can you what what if we all thought that way like what a crazy concept right like when and so that means like whenever we're talking about innovation or products or you know we're at the checkout we can think about things like that because we're, we're all going to have kids and grandchildren um, and even if we're not we know people that do and how do we want to be responsible for for um, impacting the earth negatively or positively right so just thinking about all those things, even the weight of the product is half the weight of a regular lipstick that's made with plastic so when you think of things like you're shipping, like it's about um, trying to become a carbon neutral business, which has so many layers as well. So again, figuring that all out, but how do we take those steps to, to um, leave this as little of an impact as possible on the planet? We're doing such a great job. Amazing, amazing. What has been the biggest challenge, talking about your business, uh, the biggest challenge, and uh, and uh, we can, we can, address uh, the current situation as well uh, but one of the biggest challenges in your business that you had to overcome yeah so I would say like it's really such a competitive industry specifically beauty like I know early on people are like why are you going and going there so being naive had helped me not I think quit or give up because <laughs> maybe if I knew what I know now I might not have chosen the beauty industry because it is so competitive it's run by mostly major conglomerates that own every brand if we walked into sephora like five companies own all of those brands that we see on the shelves it's pretty crazy when you when you get that deep understanding um but it also gave me an edge i think because people humans regular people like you and i we're looking for different options. We're looking to support people now. Nobody just wants to su support a big giant monopoly or a big giant company, right? They want to support people. So I think that really gave us an advantage. Um, as much as it, is, as it is a struggle, and I know it will be going forward, especially during these really challenging times, like uh, Sephora, you know, selling everything online and went with free shipping 
that's hard for a small brand, but we have to charge shipping because it's so expensive, right? Um, we can um, eliminate shipping. Obviously, the higher your order goes, we do that. But um, for just a, a one one item, we can't just uh, it, we we when we sell one item online right now, we do not make any money, <laughs> even with the shipping costs. So that's the battle of being a small business. But I always felt like we're coming in this and we're really scrappy and we're going to figure it out. And I just really feel like we had something to prove in terms of for me culturally, like I have an enormous weight on my shoulders to make sure every indigenous kid knows if they want to build a giant big bad company um like i shouldn't say bad because it's good <laughs> if they want to build a big giant good great company yeah they can and i feel as an indigenous businesswoman i have that weight to show them that yeah you can do it so failure is not an option for me but we you know, indigenous people, we're pretty resilient. Like we aren't supposed to be here. Canadian and US government systems since 100, 150 years ago have been trying to eradicate our people and our culture and it's just not happening. So can you imagine when you, what you can do um, in business when you have that kind of DNA running through your veins? It is such a great example uh, for, for the community as well. So do tell me one, what is one of the biggest things you wish you knew or most important things you wish you knew before you started or got into this business? I wish I knew. That is so hard because I think everything happens at the right time because you were not ready for certain information early on. So, <laughs> but if there was one thing I did wish I knew, I wish I didn't worry maybe about the financial end of things so much because I think people give up thinking they have no money options when I'm going to say this and I get beat up all the time, but there are lots of money funding source options out there. And it's not that it's easy. You need a kick-ass plan of, uh, for your business and you need to be able to stand there and articulate it and prove it. Right. So if, if you have those things, um, then somebody will listen to you and eventually give you some money. It takes time and patience. And that's a lot of people give up too, too soon because I think they don't think it, um, it's just that whole, they gave up just that little bit too soon, not realizing that the money was just around the corner. Right. And one of the things we see is we often see success stories, but we don't see the hardship behind and the resilience and adversity behind the stories of success. How, how do entrepreneurs get to be successes? Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's important for people to uh, realize as well, a lot of doors will close. Uh, it's, it's up to you if you will continue to knock on the doors or not. Exactly. And my career being in sales prior to this really helped with that because, I mean, no never meant no, it was just not right now. And it was just building that tenacity to not give up and literally living in a constant state of rejection. Because when you're in sales, it's very much like entrepreneurship. You get that one great deal. And then for like a week, two weeks, a month, sometimes you're getting nothing, right? So it's just about being able to be punched, <laughs> knocked down, but just getting back up. And the rejection didn't mean that your business idea was not good. Exactly. It just meant that the, the timing wasn't right, perhaps. Exactly. So what is, what is the best piece of advice you ever received as an entrepreneur? Was, was there that one person that sort of uh, said, you know, Jen, this is, this is what my advice is, that it sort of altered your path? 
Yeah. So early on, I was part of a, like a, um, an indigenous women's business entrepreneurship network thing has a really long acronym. I can't remember, but I received a mentor and her name was Deborah and we did this 12 week program and it'd be like for 12 weeks, once a week, we're checking in on like a two hour call. And she was amazing. She would bring in some incredible entrepreneurs and we would listen to their stories, you know, whether it be a marketer, a banker, a lawyer, an accountant. And the one piece of advice that she gave me, so this is like your, you know, had the dream. This program was the beginning of 2016. So very early on of the business planning, she told me, do your business plan, financial marketing, the whole thing, and go use this advisory board in Toronto. And it was a group of like retired, again, entrepreneurs, accountants, lawyers, and they sat there totally unbiased because they don't know you. They just have seen your business plan prior to meeting you. You pay 150 bucks for a one hour meeting with them. And it, I went three times and it was the most incredible thing because it's that unbiased connection that, and they could take everything apart and say, no, do this, no, do that. And trust me, like they were older because um, they're retired. So a lot of them didn't understand e-com, but I kept standing up and, and defending it and knowing back like in 2016, we already saw the power of e-com and what it was going to do, which what didn't make sense to them and which was still a struggle even to myself at the time as a like 40, how old are they, 39? I didn't shop a lot online either. Now, never mind going to buy makeup online. But I kept reading the data, the studies, the white papers, what this gen, what millennials and what Gen um, Z was doing. And it was, they're going to do everything online. It's going to blow our minds. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in diving into like trend-setting research and seeing what the future is coming. And, you know, those organizations aren't writing those papers for no reason. They have legitimate reasons. So paying attention to that and uh, just using the advisory board was mostly for the financial end of the business. And so like in the first few meetings, a few of them, they were like, this is crazy. No, what you're doing is nuts. Also them redirecting me to not my part of my dream was wanting to do this scholarship fund in my grandmother's name, who was a residential school survivor right away. And they were like, no. So one of the best pieces of advice, they said, go find an organization that you can support with just donations. So that's when we went and found the first nation child and family caring society. So we donate 10% of our profits to them and have since day one profitable or not. Um, so I saw that uh, on your website, I'm, actually. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of that because, you know, it was for me about building trust within my own community um, and showing people that people can do what they say they're going to do at any means necessary, right? And I'm, I'm a firm believer in doing what you say you're going to do. So providing those donations is just part of our business and it's part of um, me and who I am. So they suggested that, which was great because building a foundation while building a business wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. It's, it's building two businesses at the same time, essentially. So that was awesome. And then when they took apart the financial plan and then I could see it in like three of the men who are like in their sixties, I saw it in their eyes that they got what I was trying to do was incorporate this indigenous representation in the beauty space. that's never been there being able to do this online where we can ship to anywhere around North America. Um, and they were still grappling with the, how do you do the makeup thing? Right. But um, I saw it in their eyes and it again, early on gave me a little bit of validation that it is possible. And lo and behold, 
to this day, it blows my mind, but it's that our customers, 24 to 34 year old uh, women that buy almost everything online, including makeup that they've never tried on before. And our return rate is like less than a percent. It's like, oh, so, wow. so yeah, like nothing. And we have a policy that once you get your product, you have seven days, because you'll know if the color is not your shade, right? And we've, we've done that from day one, that we will return, take it back, and send you a different color. That's amazing. Yeah, at, at, at no cost to the consumer. We send them a shipping label. They send us back the color they don't like, um, and we'll send them a different one. And, yeah, and that barely ever gets used. <laughs> So I'm like, how, because in my mind, I'm like, I have a hard time buying lipsticks. I do now, obviously. I'll go, you know, I'm always scoping out what's out there and what's new and trying to um, create the best shopping experience for our customers. So obviously I check out other people's shopping experiences online to see how it's done. But I um, can't believe it, how much makeup people buy online. <laughs> But there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think everything is, is you know, going online, and especially uh, nowadays. So uh, a good place to be on uh, is online uh, right now. And I think companies that are not online uh, and haven't implemented online um, opportunities um, are having a really hard time and struggling right now to survive uh, the impact of COVID. Yeah, it would be really challenging I say to everyone, because we've got questions, are you guys still operating? I said, we've been operating this way, prepared and to be handle a situation like COVID for a long time. The only thing that would happen in our world is if shipping went down, then we're done. <laughs> but um, we're ready to ship. We have, you know, Canada Post is our shipping um, partner, and they have done a great job. Like our, you know, our, um, our Colleen, our person that comes every day is like outside with her gloves and her mask and we leave the orders out there she picks them like I can't say hello to her anymore or talk to her we're just waving through the window but like they've really done a great job to pick up operationally and fulfill all of these orders that are that are going out and um you know it's great companies that you do work with as an entrepreneur and you pick the partnerships early on they've been so so good to us so business as usual and um now I'm going to ask you uh, a few rapid fire questions. So you don't have to think a lot about uh, the answer, just whatever comes to your mind first, just to have some fun. So if you weren't doing what you're doing today, uh, what would you be doing instead? Uh, definitely it would be, I think, if I mean, if money wasn't an option, I would be doing a lot of volunteer style work for sure. And I hear that from a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, you know, they, they would sort of be in non, non-for-profit. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a book that you're currently reading that you could recommend, or if not a book, maybe a podcast or whatever you're into uh, these days? From the Ashes by Jesse Thistle. So it's a story about a Métis young man. <laughs> He becomes homeless. I'm not that far yet. This, he's, I'm still in his childhood. So anyway, he's an indigenous young man who actually ends up homeless. I believe he was a drug addict. But I'm reading this. One, not a writer, but I started writing a book about my life because it's, wow. it's pretty crazy. But so I feel like I should be reading other people's stories about how they wrote about their lives because without any writing experience you don't even know how or where to start um and then this was recommended because it's in it's on the national bestsellers list right now i think the globe and mail but it's really good it is and we can expect a book from you then 
Probably, I'm saying like year, year and a half, two years. Right. I'm trying to do the whole, like when they say a page a day, right? So we'll see how many pages it ends up being. I feel like, okay, let's start like this, the end. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think I started, I literally started probably like six years ago writing something. Um, but I only got serious like since COVID, right? We have the extra time. Why? Not that we really have extra time. I just uh, felt like I would. Um, and just being able to block that one hour since we don't have to leave. I'm feeling like that commuting time is um, lessened. So I'm not traveling, which I was doing a ton of traveling for cheekbone um, over the last year and a half. So obviously that's gone. So I do have more time to do this. Great. Thanks for sharing that. And um, are you a morning or a night person? Uh, morning. And if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be and why? Oh my goodness, it's supposed to be rapid fire. <laughs> I, I wanted to say funny at first, but my, no, nobody in my family, they, I, I, they always say I laugh at my own, my own jokes. <laughs> um, and what is keeping you up at night these days? I mean, there's so many things, but you know, one thing that's sort of... You know, I sleep well. I, I, oh, I have slept very well for the last six years of my life, which I'm really grateful for. Um, but I have a teenage son, so he's keeping me up and finding the teenage years very stressful. <laughs> and I'm trying not to be, but they are, right? I, I'm getting there as well with that, with my daughter in, in a few more years. So it's not, not something that I look forward to. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What is your favorite place in the world? It can be anywhere. It can be your backyard. It can be a conservation area or it can be an actual city, town. Yeah, I would, would not have said this maybe five, ten years ago, but literally my favorite place to go, which I don't visit often enough, is my family's reservation, which is um, in Suneros, Ontario which it's called, we're called Northwest Angle 33A is like the government official name for our, for our community. But um, going there, it's just, you know, it's just such a beautiful part of Ontario. You're like surrounded by the boreal forest and Lake of the Woods. So it's just water everywhere, rocks. Um, and you, I just feel like at home going there, even though that's never been my home which is a weird feeling. But when I think about it, my ancestors, like my grandmother, my great grandmother, they all lived on that land for like, like for four, I don't know if I go back through the generations, my family had been on that land for like 400 years or something crazy. So to me, that's powerful. So that's where your heart is at peace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what are the three non-negotiables that you happen to have in your either morning or an evening routine? Do you have to have a coffee in the morning? Is there, you know, do you meditate? Is there something that you sort of have to do either in the morning or in the evening? So um, prayer, number one, is the first thing I do every day when I wake up, um, whether it's gratitude or when we talk about stress, um, when you have a spiritual connection, you, you do a lot of communicating that way. So it, it alleviates some when you're, when you're giving things uh, to God, so to speak, you can remove some of that, those stressful things that are happening in our lives. So that for, uh, for me, that's really, really, really important is that, that spiritual connection. And I wake up with that first thing in the morning every single day and then of course coffee is on that list and then movement um even though I I, I love 
physical fitness and health. I don't always do like my workout, so to speak, right away in the morning, but I'll do whether it be like stretching or a little like blast of cardio and it's just to get everything going and pumping right away. Perfect. Last question is, uh, there's a small tropical island in the middle of the ocean with only one phone booth and no internet. We drop you off there with no technology at all. And at any time you can use the phone boot on the island to call the boat to come and pick you up. How long would you last before making a phone call? And what would you do in the meantime? Oh my goodness. I would just bask in the sun. Um, as bad as I know it is for me, if I'm stuck on that island, I'm going to enjoy the sun and the warm sand and, and dipping in the water. So I was like literally thinking it might be a, a good for week a before, I, before I call anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be nice. So where can our listeners and viewers find you on, online? So it's cheekbonebeauty.com or CA. We can find us at both. Perfect. So Jen, thank you so very much for taking the time to uh, speak to me today and, uh, you know, uh, letting us know what your entrepreneurial journey is. And we wish you all the best uh, in, in the upcoming uh, couple of years. Um, you're, you're really, it's a beautiful story that, uh, that you share. I appreciate you sharing it with us. I'm Andrea Sassum, uh, Toronto's host for Canada's podcast. Today, I had a great pleasure to interview with Jen Harper, founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics. Jen, thank you. Thank you.